welcome to the first episode, episode zero, of Sinescapades, the show where two friends take you on a chronological journey through the entire North American Super Nintendo library. We play each game briefly, judge it harshly, and then rank it on our list, which is currently empty, but we will put games on it soon. I'm Steampunk Link, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Emmy Zero. Hello, everybody, and it is exciting to be here for this first episode. Uh, I guess this is actually like our episode zero of the show. We are going to go through the entire Super Nintendo library as it was released in North America by release dates, as good as we have them, and put them on a ranking uh, so that hopefully by the end of this, we will have a a list of every Super Nintendo game and what we think of it. And uh, that's pretty much all you guys need to know. Well... Maybe not. There's probably a lot more you guys need to know. We'll get to it as we go through, though. So, yeah. Yeah. So we wanted to make this uh, episode zero is sort of our mission statement. Kind of talk about why we wanted to do this. Well, actually, let's talk about our backgrounds, because we've been doing stuff on YouTube for the past couple of years. In various incarnations, we started trying to do a original Nintendo series where we went through everything alphabetically. And we ended up just burning out on that because... Well, frankly, the average original Nintendo game isn't that good. Um, We kind of decided that, like, the Super Nintendo library shows such a significant step up in uh, quality of the average game that we just felt like we were being negative all the time when we were talking about the NES library, and we didn't want to do that. Yeah, I mean, basically, the NES library uh, is amazing, and there's a lot of really cool games in it. Mm-hmm. You can see a lot of really interesting development of the medium, but you also see a lot of, of stuff that's really rough, really early, and the Super Nintendo library, in addition to, I, I think, being a little bit more compact, a little bit smaller, is also where a lot of greater understanding of game design started to flourish. The tools were better for bringing stuff out of the ideas that people had for games. You know, the graphics, sound, uh, the controller, all of it is at a point of refinement at this point where you can really see some great things taking shape. And uh, it's really exciting to talk about those things and see how they develop uh, as, as the medium kind of blossoms on this system. That's basically why we wanted to talk about Super Nintendo games. And we started doing that on another YouTube series. And... We were doing those just sort of in episodes where we would group together games based around a theme. But for this series, we wanted to go chronologically because we wanted to sort of have the context in which these games were released. We wanted to kind of get an idea of where we'd already been and we can kind of discuss how things might have improved or maybe even didn't improve which I think is maybe a more interesting angle. Yeah, I agree. And I think that like giving these things their proper context and time will lead to more interesting and meaningful discussions of the games. And it'll help us pin down both what the game would have felt like to play at the time and also how we might want to think about it now. I think this is just going to lead to a much more interesting and meaningful analysis of these games. And I'm really excited to do it this way. It's easier for me personally personally to talk about these games based on what is directly around them than it is to talk about them based on where the game was in like the series that it's a part of or the genre. I think it leads to better discussions of those things as well when you see them in in relation to the games that were coming out just directly before them and and right around the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. (laughs) 
before we begin here talking about Super Mario World, I did just kind of want to break down the format really fast of how we're going to be talking about games going forward. So we're going to be talking about four games per episode. We are going to go chronologically by month because we don't always have exact release dates for the Super Nintendo games. In fact, we don't have exact release dates for most of them. That's just not how games were released back in the days that we're talking about here. Games didn't ship to a store and have a really specific street date where you could go into the store and buy them. They would show up on some random day. Yep, so I am doing research into when these games came out by month, but the research can sometimes be imprecise. We'll basically just be going by month and year, so we will let you know when we are entering a new month and talk a little bit about what was going on in that month in history. But uh, we will save that for the next episode. Right now, we're just going to talk about Mario World because, gall darn it, we got lots of stuff to say about Super Mario World. <laughs> we sure do. Uh, this is <laughs> this is a game that I have a, a real fondness for. I also think it is genuinely a great game. Uh, I don't know. Where do you want to start with this? It's There's a lot to talk about here. Super Mario World really does kind of keep the progression of, you know, going from like Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario Brothers 3, Super Mario World, Super Mario Brothers 3 introduced the ability to fly you still have that here but this game also introduces a new sort of power-up it kind of changes the concept of what a power-up could be in the form of yoshi that'll be the first thing we talk about for this uh, because yoshi really was a pretty big game changer not just for the mario series and that he would be a very important character uh, for the rest of the mario series up until today he's still you know always around but you know back when he debuted in super mario world he was little more than a power-up but a power-up that you could that you sort of interacted with in a way different than most power-ups it's a power-up that feels almost like it's his own character which is sort of the idea it's just worth talking about the fact that shigeru miyamoto the mastermind in a lot of ways of the mario series had wanted to do something kind of like this for a while you know a a power-up that was an animal that you could ride it had never really been possible before but it is here and you can see it kind of, you know, Yoshi is on the cover of the game. He is one of the very first things you encounter in the game. And he's a, a thing that persistently changes what you can do as Mario throughout this. It's He's so important as, as a fundamental part of this game in a way that almost no other power-up has ever been. You know, the only, the closest comparison would probably be the, the fact that you know, the, the the raccoon tail in Mario 3 enables you to fly, and that changes how they can do the level design somewhat. But this, you know, Yoshi is, is really kind of weaved in through a lot of this game. I mean, like you were saying, a lot of the game is kind of built around Yoshi to the extent that, like, the music, which is also amazing, changes when you're riding on Yoshi. You get sort of like an extra percussion track going along with the music whenever you're actually riding on Yoshi's back. You can jump off his back using the handy new spin jump maneuver that Mario has. And when you get hit while you're on Yoshi, he just runs away. And you're actually able to retrieve him if you can uh, get back on top of him before he falls off a cliff or something. I, I can't recall a mechanic quite like this in a game before it. I, and I'm sure somebody could probably point to something and be like, well, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always antecedents for things. But there, there's actually so many things that, that Yoshi kind of links into in this game. He's something that you can carry with you from stage to stage and go back to previous stages with like all power-ups in this game there's certain things in certain levels that you do 
almost need Yoshi there to be able to get to. There's areas where you can you can access like a second exit to the stage if you have Yoshi and you can use him to to fly up uh with with the wing power up that he gets. Or you or, can just jump off of his back at the last minute and sending him plunging to his death. You heartless very darkly cad. you can yeah, that's pretty dark, but it is true. Yeah, you know, I think that kind of ties into to a lot of the kind of larger stuff that this game is doing with being much more exploration-based, with having multiple exits to stages, which, once again, that's that's also an evolution of stuff from Mario 3 and even from original Super Mario Brothers with its warp zones and everything. You know, it's it's all kind of interconnected in this way. Another thing that I really like about this game, it's maybe my favorite thing about this game, is just the connectedness of the world. Whereas, you know, in in the original Super Mario Brothers, again, kind of charting that evolution, you're just in levels. You know, you you don't really have like a world map to navigate. Uh, In Super Mario 3, you have multiple world maps, but they're all distinct they're they're disjoined from each other yeah and the progression's always forward in those like you're never going to go back to when you've been to before you're never even going to go back to a level you've been to before within one of those worlds yeah here you have this big interconnected world map and everything is shown in relation to each other you can kind of see older areas of the world map from newer ones and you can go back to those and discover secret exits that will lead you to whole new levels that link to different parts of the map that allow you to sometimes take shortcuts or uncover new much harder levels that are completely off on their own sort of spur yeah it really plays to the strengths of the super nintendo hardware you know something that we'll probably be talking about a lot will be like comparisons between the super nintendo and its rival at the time the sega genesis which had already been on the market for a couple years in north america before the super nintendo came onto the scene the sega genesis had a a faster processor and it could do things like create a game like sonic the hedgehog that probably would have lagged quite a bit on the super nintendo at least with the the stock system as it was instead of relying more on pure athleticism or speed Mario World is a much more methodical game. It's a game that asks the player to poke around and and look for secret exits. The secret exits are a big part of this game. There are actually a lot of ways you could complete this game if you know where to look. You don't just have to take the well-worn path that's in front of you. I love finding secrets in this game. Even though I already know where everything is, I still love playing this game once a year and just going through as many of the secret areas as I possibly can and trying to complete as much of the game as I possibly can in one sitting. Yeah, and I I mean, I think that like going along with that, the the sort of feeling of like how expansive this game is. One of the things that's you know very different about this game versus the older Mario games and versus a lot of platformers, I would say at this time, is the fact that this actually saves your progress every time you complete a fortress or a ghost house or an end of level castle. You get to save, which means that you're not just starting this from nothing and trying to kind of get to the end of the game in one sitting. Super Mario Brothers 1 had to finish it in one sitting. Super Mario Brothers 3 had to finish it in one sitting, but there were little tools that would help you out. Those were kind of almost like a half step. Yeah, I mean, even if you just found two of them, you could get to the very end of the game really quickly. Super Mario World wasn't meant to be played like that. It's it's more like a one ongoing journey. Saving your progress is really, really helpful, especially if you are trying to find all 96 exits in the game, which is a, a kind of an, a unique 
measure of progress. Like I, I can't think of a Mario game off the top of my head that measured its progress in exit. Yeah, I think th- I think that's pretty much just this game's thing, and it's it's really cool that that's like a core part of the design of this game. something that a lot of people think is a knock against Super Mario World is it's sort of lack of diversity in the types of levels that you're going to encounter. Like Super Mario Brothers 3, you've got the grassland, but then you've got deserts, you've got underwater levels, you've got giant levels, all these other things um, in a way that Mario World doesn't. But I actually don't think of it as a flaw because it does – the fact that you don't quite have that same diversity of level types – uh, in a way, kind of makes the world feel a little bit more organic to me. It makes me feel like I, I am that, in the yeah. same world. And it also kind of forces the game's designers to find new ways to make the levels challenging using more or less the same resources that they had at the very beginning. Um, and, yeah. and there are definitely stylistic changes. You do have underwater levels. You do have underground levels you've got ghost houses yeah can i just say by the way that i love the ghost houses this is the game that introduced those and those are a thing that has shown up in various forms in, in later mario games i love them I, I love that there's just like this this new type of weird creepy you know creepy ish mario level that all kind of relies on a more sort of like puzzle type uh solution to find all the exits to it the ghost houses are probably designed partially to show off new things that the super nintendo can do like how look at all, how many ghosts we have on screen look at the transparencies and all of that it's a it's a really unique new thing for the mario series to have in it that i think is really really puts like a distinctive stamp on this game as well no i'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because the, yeah the ghost houses are a very cool addition to this game Another really cool thing about the game's world is the Star Road, which is really like the only part of the map that's kind of distinct from the rest of it. But uh, the entrances to the Star Road are dotted all over the map as well. The Star Road serves a couple of different purposes. One thing is that it is kind of this game's version of the Warp Zone. It is a way for you to get from area to area of the world map very quickly. Like you could beat this game in just a really kind of a few stages if you knew exactly what you were doing with all the Star Road stuff. The other thing this get, this does is it it kind of provides the access to the game's hardest levels because actually this game isn't that challenging. Like compared to some other Mario games, this isn't a tremendously difficult game if you're just trying to get to the last level and beat Bowser. But if you do want a really extreme challenge, that is there for you. And you're basically your reward for playing this game better is access to these harder levels both in the star road and in the the special levels that you get to from the star road which are a whole other set of levels that are like the game's ultimate challenge yeah and i think talking about the special world is kind of a good way to sort of transition into another thing i really like about this game which is that it's not challenging but it is willing to sort of be as challenging as you want to make it like there are a lot of things about this game where if you want to challenge like you were talking about with the the special world which has some very challenging levels in it 
it, you have to kind of poke around and find those. Even some of the mechanics of the game, like the cape, for example, you can use it to fly, but it's not nearly as simple a mechanic as the raccoon tail in Mario 3 was. It's kind of a learned skill, really utilizing the cape well. But once you learn it, you can fly almost indefinitely. Yeah, you can dive and then recover altitude. Uh, you can you can do that to access lots of parts of levels that wouldn't be accessible to you otherwise. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of, of sort of demonstrating the difference between Mario 3 and this game. It's, it's like the difference between a digital button and an analog you know, slider, basically. The game really doesn't require you to get extremely good at using the cape either like you can get through most if not all of this game without ever really getting skilled at actually flying with the cape but if you do get good at it you just kind of get more stuff there's more areas you can access and and you can it's it's just more ways to have fun with it i think it's great that this game's reward for you playing it well and kind of investing more into like learning how it works is that you get more of the game to play like that's so cool And there's so much more we could talk about. There's the Switch Palaces, which uh, cause uh, permanent changes to the world by filling in blocks in certain levels that Mario can't interact with otherwise. There's the Ghost Ship, which is a haunted underwater level that you encounter right before the final world in the game. It's really amazing that this is the game that came with the system, isn't it? Yeah, in in a way it is. I mean, it is one of my favorite games ever made, if not my favorite game, period. Yeah, I think it is, personally, I think it is one of the best games on the Super Nintendo. I think it's an amazing way for this system to kind of introduce itself to you. And I I think it, it does a lot of kind of demonstrating how this system is capable of giving you experiences that just wouldn't have been possible on the older NES hardware. It does a lot to take advantage of the new Super Nintendo hardware. Um, The moves that Mario has available to him are expanded because you've got a lot of extra buttons now. You do, yeah. do a spin jump, which is a real game changer. He can break blocks from below. He can use it to jump off of Yoshi. You got your L and R buttons, which aren't used to yeah, great are, extent here. Maybe those aren't those aren't the most well used buttons in this game. Well, actually, uh, you know what? I take that back. The L and R buttons do have one important use that um, some people may not even know about. Uh, if you are on the map screen, you can actually re-enter fortresses by hitting L and R at the same time while you're on the fortress, which you normally wow, can't do. You know what? I don't think I knew that. That's remarkable. Really? Yeah, that's a new yeah. one for me. That's really cool. Going going along from that, other things that this this game uses the the new hardware for, it has a really lush, really kind of rich sound to its music. Weirdly, I think particularly the game over jingle, it's like it's like it's putting you to bed. Yeah, there's so much good stuff going on with the music in this game. There's really bright you know, fun outdoor level music. There's a cool echo effect that gets added when you're in cave levels. There's the creepiness of the ghost house music. And there's, like you mentioned, the extra sort of drum sounds that are added into the music mix when you're riding Yoshi. Like lots of stuff, a lot of it pretty subtle, but really cool things that they're using the kind of enhanced sound capabilities of the Super Nintendo to to make possible. I really like the fact that for a lot of the overworld themes, in Super Mario World, they're actually kind of like several variations on the same melody, yeah, but they do yeah. so much with that. There isn't a lot of 
the original Mario theme in this game. In fact, I'm not sure if there's any of it. The only the only place it shows up is actually on the map screen in the special world. Oh, that's yeah. right. But yeah, it's got its own themes. It's got its own kind of musical motif that is played with throughout this game in really cool ways and great Koji Kondo soundtrack in this game. Yeah, Mario, Mario has always had some great music and this just adds more to it and it's wonderful. I really like the uh, the kind of crunch of the lightning in Bowser's world. Um, I think that's a yeah, really great yeah. sound effect. And um, hey, speaking of that, we want to talk about that final Bowser fight? Yeah, let's do it. Let's talk about that because it is a great, really iconic moment from this game that I think really kind of uh, was like an indelible early memory for me personally with the Super Nintendo. Yeah, same for me. I actually remember a friend of mine and I, when we finally got to Bowser, I remember like how big a deal that was to us. Like. I, I think he even said at one point, you know, like, how can you think about this when we just saw Bowser? You know, like, this was a <laughs> huge deal. Yeah. But, like, the the final battle against Bowser is very cinematic in a way that um, not a lot of platform games up to this point were. It, it was just so amazing. The music chimes in at just the right time. Is Bowser, well, his clown car descends yeah. from the top <laughs> of the screen, I should say. Uh-huh. The music strikes up again just as he comes out. Like, it's all perfectly timed. It's It's very well done. And that final fight is just so intense in a way that I was just not expecting. You have to fight with him in a way that you haven't had to deal with any other enemy in the game but you're still using mario's core moveset it's not like it it severely changes up what the game is no it's very clever and it's it's also cool because it it is kind of a test of like how good are you at using mario's moveset it's not so demanding that it would be like oh god i didn't realize the game was going to expect me to be able to do this but it's also just it's more just like hey think about this thing you've probably been doing throughout the game in in a more specific way where you've got to get the little kind of wind up koopa enemies that he drops you know you hit them they kind of go dormant and then you pick them up and kind of have to fling them uh, over the top of bowser's clown car to hit him bowser in the clown car is like this big really mobile sprite that kind of scales into and out of the screen and it's just it's so impressive looking and it's also aided by a thing that you mentioned to me that i hadn't really even thought about but is the fact that like a lot of the the game's user interface disappears when you go into this battle yeah everything except for the extra item box if you have an extra item yeah uh it just vanishes from the screen for this final fight yeah again it it just sort of lends itself to this idea that like okay it's really going down now things are really getting intense and uh bowser's entering and exiting the screen just getting right up into the camera is a good example of the super nintendo mode 7 graphics which uh yeah yeah super mario world doesn't take huge advantage of here but uh uses it to great effect for this fight yeah we're gonna see some games in our next episode that make much more intense usage of mode 7 but here it's just kind of used for like a few really special little things in the game and i think that for a game that in a lot of ways doesn't look super flashy the moments where it uses stuff like that are are really striking and i could probably go on for hours talking about it oh, but we man. should wrap this up pretty soon i, I think we, we've gone way into depth into this game talking about what we like about it um unfortunately we're not going to be able to give every game 
uh, this sort of treatment because uh, from here on out, it's, it's no. four games per episode. But for this little episode zero, we really wanted to dive deep into Super Mario World because I know it's a game that we both love very much. Well, so here's a question then. Where shall we rank this on our exhaustive list of all Super Nintendo games? Um, well, let's see here. So right now, uh, number one is nothing. Uh, so Okay. Yeah, there's actually no games on the list at this point. So where should this one go? Yeah. Well, I guess we'll probably put this at number one, uh, since it, there's not really anything in the way of competition right now. But also because this game is freaking amazing. And like I said... I honestly think this might be as close to a perfect game as is possible. I really it's, think that highly. Yeah, occurs. I mean, it's it's a hell of a way for the system to start out. As we go along, we'll rank the other game. Whether or not we eventually decide that something is on the system is, is better than this game, or we don't. And it, it turns out that the best game for this system was the very first one that you probably played if you had the system on its launch day. But that's an interesting thing, either way. Yep, it is number one, which means it is the best game, although... It is the only game! It means it's technically the worst yeah, game as yeah. well. So you so, heard it you here, know. everybody. Super Mario <laughs> Brothers, uh, Super Mario World is the worst game on the <laughs> Super Nintendo right now on our list, our ranking. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Uh, don't don't expect that to remain the case. For very yeah, long, no. Uh, but yeah, I, I I don't I don't want people thinking it's written in stone that this is just going to be the best game. This is going to be number one for the whole series. We don't know that yet. We don't. Absolutely I will probably not. be making a strong argument for it, but we'll see what happens. We are people of science, and we're gonna science yeah, we're gonna, things. We're, we're gonna we're gonna put these games under the microscope, uh, and we're gonna see exactly exactly what they're made yeah only uh completely objective reviews here on this video game channel no nothing subjective about <laughs> these video game yeah reviews that's right ever that's right yeah <laughs> all right uh we better wrap this up folks so thank you all very much for listening to this uh this sort of inaugural episode of the series uh we'll be back with something that's going to be more like what this the format of this podcast is going to be next time but uh, we thank you all for listening and we hope that you will tune in again until then i'm steampunk link i'm emmy zero play it loud intro outro song is how now brown cow by techno axe who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty free at technoaxe.com for more of our content check out honestpiranha.com thanks for listening